Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us, braving the snow, slipping and sliding to get here. If you're out joining us online, thank you for being here with us. Um, a question for you on Nate's highlights on the Great Cookie Bake Off. How many COVID regulations did he break in that? I think I counted about eight. Hey, I was a junior in college. We gather Thursday night for a test, and the professor, as he passed out the test, said, we're going to find out what you know. And all of the students went, oh. Uh, this was thermodynamics, and we were going to have three problems, and we're going to have to apply the second law of thermo to those. We had 50 minutes. Uh, none of us would finish. And what we wrote down on the paper would be an indicator for those professors of what we understood, or in my case and others, didn't understand. We're going to find out what you know. You know, John is writing a letter to a church where there's some question about what does it mean to know Jesus. And so we want to talk about that today. So if you've got a, a, a Bible, if you'd open it to 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, we're going to work our way through this text, and we're going to wrestle with this question, what shows that we, need, that we know Jesus? What shows that we need Jesus? Our, our passage opens this way in verse 3, says this, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. When it, the verb tense that's used there, we have come to know, symbolizes a past event that has ongoing consequences in our lives. So this idea, maybe some of us placed our faith in Jesus a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 25 years ago, it really doesn't matter. John's saying, when that happens, that has an ongoing impact, effect in our lives. And that, li that impact is obedience. We follow Jesus. Now, when I talk about obedience to Jesus, what kind of response does that cause for me? Does that kind of like, oh, do I have to? Oh, that's really going to wreck my fun. Or does it bring about a want to? Of course I'd want to. I'm, I'm not all there, but yes, that, that's a direction I want to go. Uh, what do we know and what do we understand about God? What John's saying is, if we truly know God, it will result, now catch this, not perfect, not perfect obedience, but a lifestyle, a growing trend of obeying God in our lives. Well, why would he even bring this up? Because he's dealing with a group of false teachers who are saying... You know, the way that you find out if you know God is, is you have some experience, some mystical experience. And this is what 
He'd say, now look, if I tell you I had some kind of mystical experience last night, there's really no way for you to verify that. You may have your doubts, you may have your questions. And he was it really Jesus or was it really the, the salsa that you ate? But obedience, how are we doing it following Jesus? That's a practical measure. How are we doing? Has this thing taken? To what degree has this relationship taken? Well, John thinks it's so important, he's going to state the command or the idea in the negative in verse 4. He says, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Here's the problem. We claim to know Jesus and we have little or no obedience. John says, yeah, I don't think that's legit. So I know where you're going. Well, Andy, then, then how much, at what point do we cross the line and when is, what's enough and how much of it? You're, you're asking the wrong question there. The answer is, I don't, I don't know where that line is. But what's your heart? What's my heart? And, and what's the outcome? We say, yeah, I've come to know Jesus. And there's no track record. There's no even growing sense of obedience. John says, ah, you, better, you better think about that. You better, you better rethink that. So about a month or six weeks after I came to faith as a freshman in college, I was told, you ought to share your faith. So I did. And I didn't know much, so they had a little booklet. I shared with a high school friend. It was a Friday night. And um, offered him a chance to receive Jesus. He was going out that night and planning to get drunk. And he thought, you know, this prayer would be a good thing to pray pray just in case. Okay, I, I'm a month into my faith. I'm six weeks into my faith. I, I don't know. You prayed the prayer. You know, that attitude says, you really don't know God. You may have prayed a sinner's prayer, but you really don't know God. I tracked with this guy for about a year, and I, I didn't see any kind of evidence in his life. And John would say, I'm, I'm not God, I can't see, but I, I don't know that that's legit. That claim you're making may not have taken. Verse 5, he's going to restate it in the, the positive now. He says, but whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. It's come to maturity. By this we know we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. This obedience is not something we grind out. It's something we want to. And as we grow and we fall more in love with Jesus, of course we obey. We're in love with it. Of course we'd follow through. Whenever I officiate a wedding. At some point in the ceremony, I'll say to the couple, you know, as you stand here right now, you truly love each other. But my hope and God's plan is five years from now and ten years from now, um, God's going to take your love to a place that 
way surpasses what's going on right now. A growing willingness to serve and sacrifice and give and, and work through conflict, all that stuff. Well, how much more in a relationship with God? God's going to take us to a place where, where we gladly embrace him and, and follow him. Uh, we use a word there. It says, the one who says he abides in him. That's to live under, to, to live with, to live under the direction of. My senior year in college, my life began to change radically. And there was a fellow student of mine who just was more mature in the faith and, and knew the Bible, and he began to pour into my life. We were living together. We were roommates. And uh, we did everything. I mean, we, we were living off campus, but we, we both had an on-campus meal plan, so we'd eat dinner, and we'd go to the library together, study, and then he'd come home, and we'd, we'd open the Bible together. I was, and, and man, my life began to, to change radically. I remember at the end of my senior year that semester, there was a, I was involved with a ministry called Campus Crusade, and there was a, a time to, to share what God had been doing in our life, and I, I shared some verse, and I remember sitting down, and a couple of the Campus Crusade staff looked at each other like, like, who knew that he would share anything spiritual? But, but I, my life began to take off. I was living under the leadership of somebody who was investing in my life. Well, how much more with God? That's what John's saying. We're abiding with him. We're, we're living with him. And he's taking up presence. Of course we're taking on his characteristics. So if you've been with us, while you've heard us use these terms, grow, connect, and serve. Three elements of being Christ in our community. And in the grow portion, we talk about how do we know whether we're growing in our faith. Here's, here's an indicator. How we do with obedience. And not just keeping the law, but what is our heart? Do we desire to obey God? Does it grieve us when we don't? Again, I'm not asking, and John's not asking for spiritual perfection. Because we don't have it. We talked about that last week. That's why we have confession. That's why we have an advocate. But what's the trajectory of our lives? Are we growing? Grow studies. Hopefully we'll be growing in our faith. So we're asking this question. What shows that we know Jesus? What shows that we've come to know Jesus? Here's what I'd say. Heartfelt obedience shows that we've come to know Jesus. Heartfelt. Not forced. Not contrived. Not manipulated. Heartfelt obedience shows that we've come to know Jesus. We say, Andy, you know, I hear that and I read that and, and you know, I, honestly, I'm, I'm not there. I, I'd be honest with God about that. Say, God, here's what your word says. I, I want to be there. I'm not. Something needs to change. My trust in you, my value system, would you do a work in my life? I want to get to the place where I have heartfelt obedience to you. So in verse 7, John's going to tighten uh, the... the the specs, just a little bit. He's going to move to obedience generally to one specific part of obedience, and that's love. And here's what he says. Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, verse 8, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Well, what is the deal? Is it an old commandment? Is it a new commandment? What's, what's, what's he talking about? Well, you go back to when God gave the law to Moses, when he set them up as a nation. 
He said, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you're to love your neighbors yourself. That was foundational love. Because we're in a love relationship with God, we're going to love each other. So in that sense, it's old. It goes all the way back to the beginning. The new part is Jesus in John 13, 34 and 35. We won't look at it, but I'll tell you, he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you want, love one another as I've loved you. And Jesus was about to show his love by laying down. Jesus said, I'm going to define, I'm going to make this love a little bit more practical. I laid down my life. I'm calling you to do that for others. I go back to the marriage illustration because it's so poignant. I say to the married couple, on that day, when you make a commitment to love your spouse, the commitment you're making is, I'm going to act in his or I'm going to act in her best interest. I'm going to put her priorities. I'm going to put his priorities above me. John said, as, as believers, we're taking on that call. We're going to love like Jesus loves. And he says at the end of verse 8, the true light is already shining. And we've talked about the metaphor of light. It gives life. And when you're in a dark room and the switch goes on, darkness goes away. And so this light will not allow for anything but love. Here we go with the converse. The one who says he is in the dark and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. I have a relationship with Jesus, but I can't stand that person. I can't stand, I don't talk to him. I don't talk to her. John says this claim that you're in the light, it's false. If you're living a life characterized by hate. As a church, we say we want to be Christ in the community, okay? And so as a body, we're serving, and and there's a corporate nature to that. But we're asking you, and we're asking me, wherever we are, to be representing Christ. So as we represent Christ, I I really think there's three, at least three big issues we're we're asking people to sign off. One, we want them to to believe that the, the birth of Jesus was a virgin birth, that uh, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and a woman. And, and that, that's unique. So like I got two sons, 19 and 22. This is hypothetical. Neither of them have a girlfriend. But if they come home and they say, Dad, my girlfriend's pregnant. It's not what you think. It was a virgin thing. I'm, I'm, I'm not buying it. I'm just, just not. Okay? But we're asking people, when we call them to believe in Jesus, to go on the virgin birth. That, that's what we're saying. And then we're saying, this guy ministered for three years, on a Friday, he was, he was executed on a cross. And in his, his death was certified because a Roman centurion took a, a spear and put it in his side. And the discharge showed he, he was dead. He was put in a tomb, embalmed on Friday. Big stone put over the tomb. And on Sunday, he came back to life. That's the second thing we're asking them to believe. And the third thing we're asking them to believe is, is this Bible is, is God-breathed. Those are some big ass of, of the people around us. And I, I'm not sure what, what they think about that. But you know what? Before they answer those questions, do I believe those truths? I think there's another question they're asking. What difference does it make? 
If I believe this, okay, you say this, Jesus, born of a virgin, risen from the dead, you say this is the Bible. I'm not sure I believe that. But if I were to believe that, what difference does it make? And if we're going to be Christ in the community, we ought to be characterized by love. It's been a challenging year. We've had our first pandemic in 100 years. We've had riots related to racial tension. We've had a very disputed election. Hmm, this caused some disagreements. What has been disturbing to me as I look at social media is the anger with which some professing believers have stated their beliefs. Look, I know you got an idea on who should be president. I know you got an idea on whether we should wear a mask or not. And I know you got an idea on, on all kinds of things. But man, the level of anger, the level of vitriol from people I know who are professing to believe Jesus. It's calling into question, does this make any difference? Oh, Andy, you don't understand. The truth is, this person needs to be present. The truth is, we need to wear a mask. The truth is, we don't need to wear a mask. The truth is, the truth is, and for the truth, I'm going to... No, 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 no. The truth, term in quotes, is not the ultimate end. When it comes to these side issues, the, the bigger issue is, how are we doing representing Jesus because we do want to bring them back to the truth of, of three central issues. Jesus is born a virgin. Jesus rose from the dead and the Bible's the word of God and they're asking, I'm having, that's, that's a tough, it's tough to believe. Does it make any difference? How are we doing representing Jesus? Is your greatest call in life, is my greatest call in life to be right on those issues? Is it to represent Jesus well? If you want to get out there on social media, okay. But as a pastor, my heart is be careful. I never see those disagreements end well. I see them escalating because you're not in person. And, and man, it gets, it gets mean. It gets ugly. John says we're to be characterized by love and we can't hate our brother and say we're in the light verse 10 the one who loves his brother abides in the light and catch this there's no cause for stumbling in him there's no question then that, that uh, a belief in Jesus makes a difference we're not going to cause anybody to stumble because our life is showing the belief in Jesus is, makes us different and I bring us back to the, the, bro, the brother, the one who loves his brother, abides in the light, lives under, under the roof of Jesus, under his direction, under his leadership. So Hope and I want to be missionaries in Latin America. And so for the year before, we, we practiced our Spanish. And so we, we got some tapes and we'd listen to them. And then we didn't have a dishwasher. And so we had a... Um, we got a Spanish praise tape, and when we do the dishes, we'd listen to it, and we'd put the words there, and there were tapes, and, I, and I'd practice speaking, and, 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 and after a year, uh, you might ask me, uh, Andy, como, como estas? How are you? And rather than saying bien, I'm, I'm going to change it up and say I'm, I'm happy, and I'd have to think, okay, uh, 
Let's see, first person singular, that'd be, that'd be Joe. Joe, um, two forms of the verb to be. It's a star, first person, Joe. It's Joe Estoy. Joe Estoy. Uh, happy, happy, happy. Felice. Joe Estoy. I mean, that, it was a painful answer. You're not making much progress here. Then we went to live Costa Rica. We attended the, attended the institute, and we lived with a Costa Rican family under their leadership. No English in the house. I can't tell you, in a month, I lived in that house. I way surpassed what I had been doing in a year. Why? Because we were living under the direction, immersing ourselves, and, and the Spanish just came out. Four or five months, I had a dream in Spanish. Where did that come from? I, I'm immersed in it. That's what John's saying. We're immersed. We're abiding. And of course, obedience is coming out mostly shown in love. So I disagree. I see your point on Facebook, and I disagree. But I don't have to show you and set you right because I've got a bigger call. I've got to show that faith in Jesus makes a difference. So people will seriously consider the truth that he's born of a virgin, resurrected from the dead, and the Bible's the word of God. Being Christ in our community. Verse 11, John goes back to the negative. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So we ask this question, are we growing in our faith? And, and we, John's given us an indicator. Our obedience, heartfelt obedience. Most specifically seen in love. I have a number of friends who are going through cancer treatment right now. One's doing radiation. One's doing chemo. Another one's looking at hormones. And, and, and these people live from indicator to the indicator. And, and there's a couple indicators. One's a, a blood test. And, and they're looking for numbers. And the number's supposed to be going down. And, and, and they know the treatment's working if the number's going down. Or, or they, they do a scan. Sometimes they do a scan, and they can measure the size of the tumor. And, and three months ago, it was this size, and this time it's this size. It's working. The, the, the treatment's taking. Okay? So John's giving us an indicator. Your faith in Jesus, my faith in Jesus, is it taking? How are we doing in obedience? And real specifically in obedience, we're going to narrow that down. How are we doing in loving? Are we so consumed with Jesus that we're going to love rather than make ourselves right? You know, you, as we think about this, I fall short. I don't want to come down. You know, I mean, I, I, I get angry. I get, I got to be, I got to be, I can't get angry. So what do we do? Let me point us to Jesus. Okay, it's his trial. The folks are coming to arrest him. Peter, impulsive Peter, whips out his sword and cuts off the ear of the priest of the high servant. Uh, the, the servant of the high priest, sorry. A little dyslexia there. Now you would think, you know, that guy, he's on the wrong side. He's serving the high priest who's going to lead a mockery of a trial and Jesus is going to be executed unfairly and you know what? You, you get stuck with the wrong side, you lose your ear. That's just the way it goes. You know what Jesus did, don't you? 
before he gets executed, reaches out and does what? Heals the guy's ear. Then we go on with this mockery of a trial where he gets executed. You want to see a man who loves? Look at Jesus. Say, Jesus, would you build that kind of character into me? I don't have it. I don't have it in me to love that way. I'm impulsive. I'm angry. I've got to show people. I've got to tell them. Would you build that into me? That I might represent you well and prove and show that my faith in Christ is real. Summer of, I don't know, it was years ago. I lose track of what summer. Um, we were on a, a missions training project, and we had the chance to go see a guy named J.I. Packer speak. Packer is a leading theologian. I think he's since passed away. And so we, we had to travel about an hour to go hear him, but I thought, I, I'm going to do it. And, and, and he, he, was, he wrote a book called Knowing God, one of the first books I wrote, a, just a giant in the, the field of theology. So he spoke for a little bit. I don't remember what he spoke on. But I remember the question and answer time. Somebody said to him, Dr. Packer, John Stott, another leading theologian, British, has come out and said uh, in eternity, he doesn't believe souls are eternally separated from God. He, he, he believes they're uh, annihilated. What do you think of that? Now, that, that would, Stott's position would be not one that most evangelicals agree with. And I thought, here's Packer. He's a giant in the field. I know. I know the scriptures. I know he can pull out the scriptures and, and take that apart. Kind of deconstruct that argument. Do you know what he said to that question? He said, I, I have heard that and I've read that. And he said, John Stott is a friend of mine. I'm going to talk to John Stott about that. Next question. He could have been right. He could have showed him. He could have taken that argument apart, but that's not where he went. Yeah, we have a disagreement, but I'm not going to air it here. I'm going to talk with John Stott, and he was, Stott was British, so who knows when he'd see him, but the next time I see him, I'll, I'll talk to John Stott. I ain't interested. <laughs> in putting my anger and my knowledge on display. And I thought to myself, you, sir, truly are a giant in the faith. Not because of what you know, but because of the way you live. Heartfelt obedience. That we might show the legitimacy of our faith through our heartfelt obedience. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for your word, and it's challenging, and sometimes we get mad, and this has been a tough year in our nation. We have been hit with stuff that seems to have uh, divided us, and, and we've got different perspectives, and Lord, forgive us that sometimes um, we have gotten carried away, and we have put um, being right above representing you well. Lord, I pray that my faith and the faith of these my friends would be shown in a heartfelt obedience to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.